listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. We're glad to have you listening. And this is a very, very special Classic Car Show. We have a very distinguished guest on the line. Um, calling us from, uh, well, I don't know exactly where he is, as a matter of fact. He may, he may be at home or he's at his office, but we've got Dr. Fred Simone on today, and uh, he's going to be talking about his museum and his foundation, and I'm going to butt out of it and let the uh, two experts, Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber, talk to uh, Fred. Fred, uh, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good, pretty good. It's a nice day out here, and we're in Philadelphia. I hope we uh, didn't get you up too, too early. No, uh, in my other life I was a surgeon, so uh, this is nothing special. <laughs> well, we we certainly appreciate you taking the time to be on the Classic Car Show, and uh, I've got your website pulled up. I'm gonna uh, we're gonna watch uh, Steve and Jim do their thing for a second, and then we'll switch over to your website, which happens to be. Uh, SimoneMuseum.org, and you can just S-I-M-E-O-N-E Museum.org, and you can go and it's a very entertaining, uh, it's a very good website, and uh, I think people will enjoy it. So with that being said, I'm going to let you guys take off. Uh, Steve Ronaldo here. How are you doing this morning? Great, Steve. How are you? Good. I've been to your place several times. I just got off the AACA National Board uh, after uh, quite a few years on the board, and, and uh, you hosting, you used to host, you've hosted directors' dinners over there, and a bunch of stuff. And uh, when we come up for the uh, the convention in Philadelphia, and, and uh, the times that you you uh, have had us over have been probably the high for me one of the highlights of the. Uh, uh, the convention, uh, because being a sports car guy, you have two sports car people here. My my first job was with British Leyland out of college back in the ancient days, and uh, you have some really cool and interesting uh, and uh, sports cars. It's one of the few museums where the you know you're not going to walk in and see 255 six and seven Chevys and 100 Model As. And that's what makes your your setup really cool. Some of the the, the cars that you have, Fred. It's Jim. We- it's Jim Weber here, and um, Steve's my caregiver. I think he reacts like that once in a while. But we've been together, worked together for quite a while. And uh, I want to say the same. I have not been to your museum yet, but I have read your <clears throat> book, The Stewardship of Historically Important Automobiles. And I find that quite, how do I put it, uh, unbelievable, I guess, because you've taken such a neat approach to things and compared it to other rare collectibles, such as furniture and art. And I really want to commend you and the gentleman that contributed to that book. And if you'd like to tell us a little bit about the book, um, I think it would give our listeners a greater appreciation of what you're doing. Well, sure. Uh, I'll try to be brief. It takes it takes a little bit to get into the philosophy, but um, uh, I grew up with it. My dad was uh, my hero. He was uh, 
a also a doc, but he, he used to take me around to, after we did house calls together, take me around to junkyards, and then we would go to car shows when they started up, and he made me under, appreciate certain aspects of the car that made me ultimately make certain choices, and that ended up in our collection. And he, he was a... He was from the old school, the old restoration school, which was uh, every car had to be shiny and perfect, and nickel was dull, so let's chrome from the nickel, and certain colors were better than others. Um, and, you know, uh, upholstery started when it started, it fade and crack should be replaced. And all of that, I think, was driven by the, the current philosophy at the time, which was um, we are men, we compete, the only way we really knew how to compete when automotive history was vague was to make our cars prettier. And then the guy with the prettiest car to come prize at the car show. And I know Steve knows that that's still a kind of a prevalent philosophy. I think you were a judge at, at one point. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm on national awards for AACA now. Right, and I remember seeing your name. And uh, at that time, you know, you, you if you wanted to win a prize, and most people who collected seemed to have that mindset, it would take the car, and it had to be just right. Some judge would come along and complain about door fit or waves in the paint or pitting crumb, and and you would get deducted for that. Well, that, I mean, I'm not certainly not anti-restoration, as you know by reading the book, but uh, in that mix of cars that people restored, there were some, some cars that were really very nicely preserved. And uh, they were kept indoors. They had loving uh, uh, caretakers, or even benign neglect. They were put in the garage, but it was out of the out of the weather. And as time went on, the car uh, matured. So it was far from perfect, but you know what? It had the paint that was came on at the factory. It had that upholstery that uh, people sat in. And in my case, sometimes great race drivers sat in that, uh, on that same upholstery, and there was a story that you could see by looking at the car, feeling it, understanding how the craftsman did, and that, uh, I think you'll all agree, uh, gets erased when you strip the paint, paint it your favorite color, and make the uh, bright work all new, and strip out that upholstery, and kill a few lizards, and <laughs> make a new <laughs> upholstery to your choice, so... The, the restoration business um, was uh, great for cars that were not um, not capable of being preserved, in my opinion. Uh, and then, of course, with cars that were, uh, let's say, pretty common, we mentioned Model A's earlier in this conversation. I think if you have a Model A, um, you can kind of paint it the way it was when Grandpa drove it or do whatever you would like with it because there will always be another good Model A for people to see uh, that has been kept original. Uh, and Model A's are fairly common cars. But what bothered me was when somebody took a car, say, with an interesting race history that had been banged up a little bit, a car that had shown some battle signs, a car that um, maybe had some stickers or painting on it from when it raced, to strip that all off to make it perfect seemed to be a form of desecration of taking away the history. So with good, historically significant cars that have been preserved, our theory, uh, as espoused in the book, is they really should be left alone and they should be cleaned up 
uh, but not not really change very much. If there's still a good percentage of the car that looks good, uh, looks original, and as you mature, um, as at least in my case, you'll find that those cars ultimately are the most uh, endearing, and you can develop a relationship with them that a restored car doesn't give you. So, hard and a long answer, but that's the only way to respond to your question. Yeah. I, I appreciate that, and I, I'm going to turn the mic over to Steve in a second. But before we finish the show, I would like you to tell people how to get this book, because I think this book is important. So I'm going to turn the mic over to Steve. Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, a lot of what you're saying, my first judging at Hershey was, gosh, I was probably 15 years old, and this is would be back in the the early early 60s and Bert Harrington was the chief judge and he he said Kate talked to my father he said can your kid judge I don't know ask him so I did and he uh, he says the guy complained he was short a guy on his team and he said go see that old go see that old man over there I get over there and says kid just look and tell me if it's if it's shiny and that was my my judging, um, my first judging at Hershey. But I, I by witnessing by what you're saying, I do agree. I think the emphasis on <clears throat> preservation as opposed to restoration uh, is, is the way the hobby is moving. Because if you look just in AACA, the HPOF Historic Preservation of Original Features and Driver Participation classes have just gone crazy. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, and I, I do agree with you. I, I, I think that's where the hobby is moving, uh, away from the multimillion-dollar Pebble Beach restorations, especially with the, with the more, like you call them, significant vehicles. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good well, thing. Yeah, I mean, we, we, um, we're the only really, if you want to call us a hobby, we're the only really hobby that does that. I mean, you wouldn't do that with furniture. Uh, you talk to anybody who deals with old furniture, and they like that original shellac, even if it's cracked. The, the brasses can be dull. But you don't want to shine them or replace them with new ones. Uh, and painting, painting uh, real, real connoisseurs of painting, that you're really limited as to what you can do. You can sometimes you have to fill it in with paint. And they are, and they're fussy enough to even make it with removable paint, so that it does its job. But uh, it's not you haven't really really I didn't know history. That. Yeah. Things like that are the way furniture, art, statuary, and even buildings are, are managed if they're historically significant. And to tear that all away just to get a prize um, at a show um, is probably a, a mistake. Yeah. With the move, move that we're, we started and initiated and were finally successful was to have certain cars of historical significance in our original condition put into the National Historic Registry, you know, the registry that certifies uh, historic buildings. You've seen the plaques on those. And the National Historic Registry until last November had only um, buildings, some boats, some trains, and we managed to get the first automobile into the National Historic oh, really? Registry. The National Park Service and the Department of Interior were approached. They set up criteria. And we finally had a car now considered a National Historic Treasure. That's uh, your... And that, of course, implies that this, this car happens to be original. 
and that implies that uh, hopefully that it will stay original, definitely. Yeah, and Fred, that's your Cobra Daytona Coupe, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I noticed that the first or last Studebaker-built Avanti is headed to the registry now. Right. Mm-hmm. So how that has many, great history. Yes, it is. How many vehicles so far are in the registry? Do you know? There's one official, and then there's a series that are being considered. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a quick process. You need a, a lots of documentation, a, 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 an extensive set of images, properly prepared images, so that the car will stay that way. There will always be a reference, despite how many owners it goes to. There will be reference images, which will be filed in Washington. Um, and then historical documentation with as much paperwork as you can. So that, that's a process that takes a, a while. And then the judges who are, I think, uh, pretty impartial, partial will, uh, uh, will work with the Department of the Interior to uh, get your car considered. Well, I think, that, I think that's pretty cool. I, I knew nothing about this, and I, I've never even heard this mentioned uh, in in you know hanging around with the AACA guys and stuff, I've never, I've I've not not heard any discussion about this at all, and I, I think that would make a great article for the Antique Automobile to to uh, let the sixty thousand plus members of AACA at least. Uh, what's going on? I think this is a pretty cool deal that you guys are involved in. I I that's the first I've even heard of it. Yeah, well, sure. Well, uh, if you contact me or contact member, there's a, a group, um, an independent group called the Historical Vehicle Association, which is really a bunch of a bunch of okay. uh, history buffs from around the really around the world. In the uh, in Europe, there's something called FIVA. Maybe you've heard of that Federation International. Yes. Yeah. Can we stop for and, a break, real quick? Yeah, and FIVA supports this, too. Sure, go right ahead. All right, we'll, we'll be back in a minute. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Are you into classic cars? Do you own a classic car? If so, you need to know J.C. Taylor Insurance, the absolute best place in the country for classic car insurance. They own classic cars, they support the industry, and have the best prices bar none. Go to jctaylor.com, get a quote, and tell them you heard about them on Radio Sandy Springs. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Fred? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, we're back. It's Jim. Um, a couple of things I'd like to visit with you about on your museum, and you've had some cars in there that I've known intimately, and I don't think you have them anymore. You had a long chassis 
2.9 Alpha that uh, was part of the Mashek collection at one time, and I believe right. I believe you've sold that car on. If I remember. Well, right. I I traded it. I uh, sadly I've always run into financial difficulties, and I traded it for an Aston Martin DBR1. Ah. Well, I forgive you then. <laughs> so, yeah, I I grew up with that car, so it was. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Um, long story, and sometime I'll come to the museum and visit you, and uh, we could talk about it. You also have Rabbit the first, or you did have the aero-engined Mercedes from the twenties. No, no, that was a Judge North car. It was like one of uh, the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang cars. Did no, you? Not that. Okay. never had that. All right, then I, I was wrong there. <laughs> and you have uh, one of the three Mille Miglia 29 Alphas, and I think yours is the Pintacuda car, if I'm not mistaken. No, that's the Ralph Lauren that, has the Pintacuda right. car. Okay. I have the Biondetti car, okay. which run, and they actually made four. The other two are basically uh, changed beyond recognition. Yes. So there's really the Pinnacuda car and uh, the Biondetti car. Left. Yeah, because the other one was the ex-Hugh Hunter car, if I remember rightly. Yeah, that's the one I have. Okay. All right, because Bill Seri had that one the last time I saw it. Right. Yeah. That's who I got it from. Okay. Um, somewhere I read that your first love was Accord 812. Is that correct? Or your first inspiration well it, to this? that was my first experience that was dad you know dad had the typical story when the court came out in the late 30s he couldn't afford one but it was the hottest neatest looking wildest thing imaginable and everybody dreamed of having one and then finally he he managed uh to get a few bucks and in the 1949 or so he bought one and pretty much restored it himself. He did everything except the upholstery and paint. Okay. And that car went on to be a grand classic. Um, and uh, interestingly, you know, um, Steve, you know the grand classics are numbered. Yes. Um, and that's grand classic number four. Um, really? That's... And, <laughs> wow. And that's the longest uh, single ownership uh, grand classic that's still in the CCCA. Uh, I've had it. Dad, Dad restored it. He won the Grand Classic, uh, and then I kept it. And that was a big deal for him, too. You know, we used to go to the, to when they were in Buck Hill Falls and the old, old places, Sky Top. We used to go, Dad and I used to go to the shows, and they were big old-time uh, classic car guys. Uh, so that car, is, if you have a classic car cup journal old enough, you'll see pictures of it. That, that's great. That- because uh, we've uh, talked to some other people with some cords, and uh, I think Steve has a... Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I think the L29 is one of the prettiest cars ever made. Uh, oh, God, yeah. Yes. I, yeah, yeah. I, they're gorgeous. Yeah. Are you getting ready to go to Hershey next week? Yeah, actually, I should know since I'm going to take advantage of this plug. Bonham's, you know, Bonham's Auction House. Yes. Every year they have a preservation auction at the museum at our museum, which is quite an event. And uh, we scheduled it so people who are coming in for Hershey would come a day early and go to this auction. It's this coming Monday, in other words, the day after tomorrow. And the museum is now filled with a bunch of interesting preserved cars or semi-preserved cars. So um, we'll do that and then uh, later on in the week off to Hershey. 
Yeah, yeah, the annual gathering of the clans. Fred, tell us about some of these cars. Uh, we'll give Bottoms a plug on the show, but uh, I'd, um, lo- I'd love to hear about some of these. Yeah, Bottoms has uh, led the way. In this. Oh, and by the way, it's preceded by um, about four hours of automobile auctions, and they have some interesting posters and books and parts. There's a few interesting engines in there. Uh, that you can buy, and some of the some of the automobilia is pretty interesting. It's all mark specific. Looking around, I saw very low mileage um, open um, uh, Rolls Royce uh, in the mid twenties, which is really great. They have a Mercer uh, a twenties Mercer touring car, which is totally original. Uh, a little bit on the it's certainly worth preserving, but it's a uh, you know, it's been outdoors a bit. Uh, there's a, a Nash Healy, which uh, needs needs to be restored. But like most of these cars, they're all there. There's not there's not cars with uh, important things missing. Um, there's a great great crane simplex, beautiful car oh. that you could tell was indoors uh, all of its life in some wealthy person's estate who had the body custom made for it. Um, another. Uh, and Packard, late uh, twin six Packard, mid teens, with a rear entrance <laughs> body. Really, it's really kind of. That's funny. weird. <laughs> that was probably to let the owner's mistress in. Well, it probably is, so nobody <laughs> could hide. It's actually there's a little spur in the back. Everybody's facing the other way. Oh, for God's um, sake! <laughs> there's a Peerless Opera Coupe, which is a special car made to take. Uh, uh, a couple. It's got room for two, and no passenger seat. Just a chauffeur in the front and two seats in the back to take people to the opera. You know, great, great stuff like that. Um, a little bit of something for everybody. The cars are new. Is it? Uh, I always love that Volvo P eighteen hundred station wagon they made. Remember those pretty little station wagons? Yes. Yeah, that yes, yes, is the ES. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, the ES. Right, there's yeah. a beautiful red ES there that I that I lust for. An Alpha Montreal. You may remember in the yes. 60s for yep. the Montreal. Yes, yes. I, I. That's a just a gorgeous car. But everybody tells me they drive like a truck. Yeah, yeah. They they weren't a fun car to drive, but there's one there all nicely. I, that's called a preservation car, but it really has been probably been resprayed at least um, and so you know there's a, there's something for everybody I encourage the listeners to go online they can go on the, on bottoms um, B-O-N-H-A-M-S uh, automobilia uh, bottoms automobile and they'll get to see the catalog online it's a lot of fun well and and you said the the magic word to me preservation and you're, you're unique I, I will say that most People unfortunately uh, do rest- do restore or over restore a car. Now I'm not saying that's wrong. And some cars where you're literally starting with pallets of parts, uh, you have no other choice but to restore that car. And a lot of people don't drive these cars; they become trailer queens, which I think is sad. And that kind of gives me a segue into talking about you have. Running displays, I understand, some Saturday mornings in your parking lot where you bring your cars out and drive them around. Could you tell us about that? Right, yeah. We we think um, 
you know, uh, I've, the cars are all a charity. In other words, I've given them, basically given them to society so that they'll stay together rather than be uh, taxed. And, and half of them lost them when I, when I pass. So what's the purpose of giving your cars away? You think about it. Why would you do that? And really, the only real value is the pleasure of looking at them and the educational value. Well, the educational value requires some, some description. So every other weekend and then uh, several other times during the year, we'll take a theme and we'll say, because we have 70 cars to work with, We'll say, okay, our theme is Le Mans or Sebring or cars that Sterling Moss drove, which was one one of our themes because we have some cars that he actually drove. Or we'll take, let's take one that's easier, or a Jaguar. Um, Jaguar is a role in racing. And we'll talk about the SS100, and, and then we'll talk about the C-type, and then the D-type, and we may have a guest bring in uh, another one, like a, a later racing Jaguar, and then the crowd will have to sit through uh, a talk, maybe they'll get bored, but we talk for about 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes or so, on what the the evolution from the SS100 to the C-type to the D-type, and what they meant, and the Le Mans that they won in the history, then we take them around, we have about three acres of blacktop in the back, and my curator and I will take them around, so in addition to all that, they get to hear them and even smell them. That's great. Uh, that, Fred, that is incredible. I, I'm going to jump in, Fred, and ask a question that uh, a couple of them actually uh, one in a few minutes. But um, one of the reasons that we started the show back in 2005 is the fact that we realized that, you know, uh, and it wasn't near as prevalent as it is today, kids playing with their thumbs instead of uh, breaking down an engine and finding out what uh, makes it tick. And... Uh, we we have a concern for the kids uh, that yeah kids today many of them uh, the three of us sitting here couldn't wait to get our driver's license I mean we were there before the before the doors open and uh, yet kids today are 16 17 18 letting their mothers drive them around and they don't care except for getting back to the couch and sitting there and playing their uh, electronic games so. We felt like it was very important to get the word out and and work with organizations and museums and and other clubs to uh, get kids interested in, if nothing else, just learning the history of uh, the importance of the automobile and particularly in the United States and uh, turning this from an almost um, uh, months-on-end travel to uh, being able to get in a car and go from coast to coast uh, in a few days. So what's your take on where kids are, and do you get a good response from the kids that come to the museum? Well, yeah, that's one of our, our – that's in our mission statement, the education of kids. And that's in our mission statement. Um, and it takes two, it takes two uh, aspects. Number one, uh, the one that you talked about, getting kids interested in the function of the automobile – uh, with in a hands-on way, and of course the history of the automobile. A lot of kids think the first car ever made was a '64 Mustang, you know, and they they really don't they really don't take it further back than that. And they'll they'll walk right by our brass cars, and they have to learn that. As I often say to the kids, you don't start the study of American history with World War II. You started with the Revolutionary War, and now you're looking at revolutionary cars when they go by a Mercer race about and we 
tell them why it was so much uh, uh, a better handling car than the others, which is a visible thing, actually. That's theme number one. Theme number two is, uh, and it's, it's all over our, um, our literature and all over the big, in the hallway, the spirit of competition. And this is something that's interesting. It's a little bit off subject, and I'll get back on to the, the mechanical part. But, um, you know, modern kids, particularly males, uh, have, for the reasons that you just mentioned, don't seem to be as competitive as they were before. Uh, um, and, and interestingly, simultaneously, women are getting better and better. More women in college than men now, and, and women seem to be doing great in everything. Guys seem to be falling behind. And what we show them by lining the cars up, say our Le Mans exhibit with 10 actual Le Mans cars, is that every year they got faster, they got more streamlined, they got more powerful, they got better looking, they got safer, because they had to compete. And we constantly point out as we go through the cars and take the kids through the exhibit. This is a, an advancement because of competition. Come on, guys, you've got to try to get better. Uh, we talk a little bit about evolution, and, car, and these cars are showing you why you have to try and improve your state. So getting back to the original thing, um, we, we try to get them involved in how the car works. Now, let me say something in the kids' defense. Uh, and I don't like to say this, but it is a fact. The, the, the four of us uh, here all grew up when you could lift up your hood and you would see a carburetor and <laughs> you'd, see a, an egg, you know, you'd see a coil. Parts see that a it might be pump. recognizable. Yes. Yeah, yes. now you go in there and all you see is a big piece of plastic. And that's a hard hurdle to get over. You know, the kid doesn't think he can work on his car unless he has a computer. So that's something that we have to get around. We wish we could get into hands-on training but none of our cars is really hands-on and that's a whole other subject which when when if we are able to get a few bucks uh, we'll get into but i entirely agree with you i think kids are dissociated from their cars um i don't think they they get involved anymore and um so many of their appliances like their computer the television are things that they can't work with with their hands and they're throwing now the automobile into that category you know uh, you were talking about uh, competition now I, now i never you understand i never did this but i had some friends that thought back in uh, when i had my driver's license uh, early on in the 60s that the uh, street light was actually the tree at the drag strip there wasn't even trees back then. No, no. Well, we, yeah, we, we, David, careful! Lightning's going to strike here in a minute. We're going to go off the air again. But you know, that was uh, we had the competition on on the streets. Uh, a little bit of drag racing every now and then, but it was good, clean competition and good fun. Sure. And uh, you're you're right about the fact that uh, we've taken competition out of it. I'm also the one that asks the very important questions, and actually I know the answer to it because it's, it's very visible on your website. Uh, but I am curious, how many weddings a year do you all have? We're, we have, I wish you'd ask how many events a year do we have. How many you know, events like, a year do you all have? That's better because I kind of discourage weddings, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the fucking mom. So you want to explain why you discourage <laughs> Well, that's because you got a bride's mother, and what I found, uh, sadly, I'm going through this right now. My daughter's getting married soon, 
you've got a bride's mother who um, doesn't understand. We, we if, you, if you've been there, we have hay bales, we have old tires, we have burlap bags like they had at Le Mans. Yeah, at the racetrack, yeah. Hay bales yeah. like they had at Watkins Glen. And uh, I think that the doves flying across <laughs> hay bales doesn't really... Uh, uh, appeal to them. So we, we have, interestingly, the, the weddings we have had have been women and girls who married car people. Um, and if you, you got a car guy, and if he's lucky enough to find a car girl, and God bless him and her, the car guys and car girls have gotten married there. It, but we do have other things like this Bonhams auction. We've had a great trade show last week. Boy, it was a fascinating trade show. I learned so much. They had these these uh, 3D um, copying machines, you know? Yes, yes. There were whole rows of those. We've had, uh, we had, interesting, the American Philosophical Society won the 150th anniversary of Darwin's Origin of Species because they came to us because we were an evolutionary museum, which is great. Well, that's kind of cool. Honor. Yes, yes. And, and they talked about evolution. Huh. So there, there are themes uh, <clears throat> that we can build around cars. And, and we call those events. Uh, and and we, we are now, this is our biggest month, actually. Uh, October is really our biggest month. I think we're going to have somewhere around 12 or so. Wow. Uh, usually we have fewer, but that's building up. In fact, that's what keeps us alive. Uh, very sadly, our attendance is not what it should be, but events will allow us to keep the lights on. Yeah, Fred, I, I would like to ask another question. You were talking about... The 3D copier, and of course, uh, cars today are are driven through a computer before they ever make the, you know, they ever are built and are test driven. They're they're test driven in the computer. You got the CAD systems that design. Can you imagine in your collection the hours and hours of the engineer and the person at the drawing table? And well, let's try this and let's change that and let's modify this a little bit. And and we weren't you weren't talking about let's modify this and taking two or three hours or an hour in a computer and testing it through a, a, a computerized air chamber. You were talking about going having a part made uh, and then uh, at best putting it in a wind chamber. But back many 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 years ago, it was putting it out on the track and seeing if it worked. Can you yeah, imagine? putting little little tufts of, of uh, cotton on the car and seeing how the how the wind aligns. Uh, that's that, that's really an amazing story, and it, it's a it's a story that we can get through to non-car people, that car people understand it. And when we we do have uh, open hood, is open hood is part of the um, of the exhibit. In other words, after we run them around and all that, we'll open the hoods and we get an opportunity to see how they solve the problem. And, they, and these things are ingenious. And the guys were amazing with, we, you know, with so little accessory devices. I mean, they had a pencil and paper and maybe a slide rule and made these wonderful, wonderful cars. We give something called the three-liter day. And we start with, a, with a, our, um, like our Mercer race about or early three-liter cars, which we're lucky to get 60, 70 horsepower from. And we take it to the 1975 um, Alfa Romeo 33 TT12, which was a, a race car of the mid-70s with a horizontally opposed 3-liter engine. And that thing's getting five, 600 horsepower. Uh, but the same engine capacity. And we discuss 
all the ways that these guys figured out to get more and more power out of the same size engine. I mean, that's one of the many stories. Yeah, yeah, the advancement, uh, the history aspect, I'm glad to see that you're, you're doing a, a lot with that, to, to, because we didn't get here without a lot of trial and error and blood and sweat and tears, as the old adage goes, um, to where we are today. And I, I just can't seem to get excited instead of hearing the Beach Boys sing 409, I can't get excited about a song called Random Access Memory. <laughs> I just doesn't do a thing for me. <laughs> Yeah, Fred, uh, the car that you have, the 33 TT12, um, that's the tube frame car, and what was that period, was that uh, WSC championship about 75, 74, somewhere in there that Keedy had those cars? Yeah, they they won the uh, world championship in uh, in 75, and... 77. Uh, A couple interesting things about that. That's the newest car in the collection, and the reason for that is that's a stretch even on a three-acre track. We have it also a a Porsche 917 long tail. Even on our three-acre track, and we call it a track, it's really a parking lot. Right. But, you know, that car car doesn't want to go. The best we can do on that track, because while we're demonstrating, is probably 20 miles an hour, you know. Yeah. That car doesn't want to do 20 miles no. an hour. It's cranky. It's very unhappy. So we really stopped collecting. I decided I don't want to collect a car that's going to be a statue. Yes. Uh, that's going to just sit there and have no other meaning except its physical presence. So our, our earliest car is 1907, but our, our latest car uh, is that, that Alpha. And that was... Um, the year that Alpha came out of nowhere and won the uh, World Championship of Make. That's our favorite make, and we have uh, basically 10 racing Alphas, but uh, uh, that's that's the end. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that, and I've seen that car run at Beloco, and those things are incredible. Um, mm-hmm. The sound of that car and the sound of the 917, those are two of the most beautiful-sounding engines that were ever built. Yeah. It is. It is music. It's it, music. it is. It is, and I can understand the difficulty in uh, going twenty miles an hour in either one of those. Um, let's go back and talk about your brass era cars because that's something that Steve is very interested in, and I am too. And kind of, you said nineteen oh seven was your first car. What is that? Uh, American Underswan. Oh, oh, yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, is that an old, old Walt Seeley car? One of yep. The, it is. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, besides my uh, Walt Seeley car, the feature car of the auction, the day after tomorrow, was going to be Walt Seeley's first American Underslung. And I, the, the listeners are probably wondering who Walt Seeley is. So in one sentence, he's a guy who came upon at the time when American underslungs were great cars that all automotive people knew, but they basically didn't exist when he discovered them as far as we were concerned. And he came upon a garage that had four of them. Yeah, the Deemer brothers, yeah. From a wealthy family that uh, had used them and saved them, and he was given the task of restoring all four of them. But the one that, the, the most famous one, the wedding car, the car that started it all, the car that Mr. Deemer the owner of all four cars took his wife 
uh, on their wedding, uh, and then the car burned in a fire, and he was upset, went back to the factory, and ultimately ended up with three more. That car is being auctioned the day after tomorrow. Oh, really? Wonderful, wonderful car. It, it's just, it breaks your heart. If you guys are brass car guys, when you when you look at that car, and it, it is, in my opinion, is a, and I have I have a, a, a set of, of automobile sales brochures, which is getting to be pretty close to complete. Uh, that's the first brochure that ever that has a gasoline car made for speed and sport. And that's the 07 uh, yeah, and North Carolina. That, see, Walt Seeley was an old family friend. He and my father were, were, were really good buddies. And I was like the typical kid, uh, you know, hot rods. I wanted at that 32 Ford with the Chevy V8 back in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. And, well, I always remember Mr. C. Walt telling me, he says, you'll grow up and quit messing with that shit and get real cars when you get older. <laughs> yeah, that so was where, Walt. Where that, that was Walt. So. Yeah. yeah. Were you from Jamestown? Yes, yes, I am. I grew up in Jamestown yeah. with the Chautauqua Lake region with Solon Sprinshorn and my father and Walt Seeley and Doc Sinatra and a bunch of those guys. Well, then, uh, so the, the reason that that car, the, ours is the Traveler, which was the, uh, the, the uh, was a four-passenger sports car. Incredibly beautiful car. And I wanted to have... The cars are in the museum are by theme. In other words, we don't line them up. I call that a hardware show, and they're just lined up. The theme is how they competed. And Le Mans is a way of competing, and Sebring is a way of competing. He has this, even Brooklyn. But I wanted to have something on endurance racing, and that gave me the privilege of picking any <laughs> big old endurance racer that I wanted uh, because... Uh, that that was an excuse to get this incredibly beautiful oh, they're uh, American understanding. Gorgeous Just, cars. Well, and explain the difference because that chassis provides a low center of gravity, which no mm-hmm. other car did at the time. So, kind of walk us through that, if you would, please, Fred. Yep. Well, the the uh, Angerson concept was uh, uh, a guy named Fred Tone was the designer, way ahead of his time, bright guy, and. Um, he wanted to lower the center of gravity of the car. And I think, because uh, I don't have any evidence for this, I, since, since cars are so beautiful, I think he made concessions for design. Now, when you look at a brass era car, your immediate image, pick, pick the studs there, pet cat, pick anything. You'll see the two fenders and then the, uh, the hood, the top of the bonnet, the engine cover, sticking up above it. So that if the if the top of the fenders are say four feet off the ground, the top of the hood is five and a half feet. Or so, so the, the the hood towers over the fenders. When you lower that whole center of the car, and I'll tell you how you do that in a minute, you lower that whole center of the car so that the fenders, which are now flattened out, are in line with the hood. It just has a tremendously appeal to the eye. It's just an appealing thing to see the fenders, which are straight, and the hood all lined up. It's it's a crouching effect. It's like, you know, when a leopard is ready to strike, it puts its head down and its shoulders up. Can we save That's that thought for a second, Fred? Um, yeah. Apparently, uh, the station master feels we need to take we need a need to break. make some money. Yes. Sure. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll be, be right, right back. after this. <laughs> I'll get some more. 
Are you into classic cars? Do you own a classic car? If so, you need to know J.C. Taylor Insurance, the absolute best place in the country for classic car insurance. They own classic cars, they support the industry, and have the best prices bar none. Go to jctaylor.com, get a quote, and tell them you heard about them on Radio Sandy Springs. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back. Uh, Fred, I've got to ask, uh, you were you were going through such detail, and obviously you know the ins and outs and everything else, and, and I was just wondering, I know your, your background, you're a very well-known neurosurgeon. Did you, do, do you actually, or did you actually during the, and, and your hands were so important in your profession, did you actually do any uh, of, the, of the work on the cars yourself, or how did you protect yourself if you did? Uh, I, I really, you don't, you, don't, you don't think of that, you know what I mean? Anybody who ever hurt his hands uh, never thought of that. You, you just you did what you had to do. I was, um, I, worked, I worked on all the cars, but I somehow gravitated towards um, more bench work. I'd like to take a carburetor or an instrument apart and work on the, on the bench. Oh, um, you, you looked I, at that carburetor like a human brain, right? Yeah, yeah well, not, <laughs> not necessarily a brain, but I got used to working with small things uh, and in, in my practice through a microscope, an operating microscope. So I was better with that. I would, I would say I'm a kind of an average mechanic when it comes to uh, doing things that require a hammer or a big wrench. So that's, yeah, but I, you don't have to worry. You, you just can't go through life worrying about your hands or you wouldn't race a car if you're worried about your life. You know, you just, sure. you don't think that way. This is absolutely, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your, your thought. Uh, well, yeah, I just want to over. finish that thought. Sure. Pardon me if I talk too much. But no, 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 no this you, is great. The way you brought the center of that car down, the whole chassis down, was to put the chassis under the axles. You recall that Oh, virtually every car, the period had an axle and then a spring on top of the axle, and the chassis on top of the spring, and that's how you uh, you 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 manage the suspension. The underslung hung the car from the axles, and that that's why they're wonderful cars. And I could tell I got the guys excited because when you mention an American underslung, everybody knows what it is, largely because I think it was we guys because of how hot they looked. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And I. And I went down with, with Walt and a bunch of guys and helped load pieces from the Deemers into the back of trucks when I was maybe 10, 11 years old. To, <laughs> out of that stuff. I hope you remember that, that, um, that, uh, that long chassis, four-passenger. It's a four-passenger roadster. Boy, it is a wonderful car. They're beautiful. By the cars. way, I should add that when you do lower the chassis, uh, now you've, you've uh, not... Uh, knocked out your ground clearance 
because the chassis is now under the axle. So they had to put 41-inch wheels on these cars to raise them. Yeah. Uh, and that also gives them a neat look. A good friend of mine is finishing one now, one of the last ones, one that Harold Coker started, and, and, and Harold is not going to finish his stuff, so he's starting to, to divest himself of some of these cars. So several years ago, Alan bought the, one of the last unrestored underslungs in pieces and is putting it together uh, now. So anyway, I want to invite you over thir- uh, Friday. I'll, I'll even buy you your five dollar lunch at the horseless carriage. And I'd, I'd like pictures of that. Steve doesn't buy anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and normally he lives on a pizza diet, so you might have something similar to pizza. No, no, this is the horseless carriage oh, lunch okay. All on right. Friday. So if you get over that way, look me up. That Hershey. Yeah, where are you in the brown field, the white field? No, I'm in. I'm in the red. I don't really have a flea market space. I'm more of a walk around and, and drool a lot. And, <laughs> and okay. but the but the uh, I usually serve at the horseless carriage uh, luncheon on Friday. Okay. Well, well, I'll try to I'll try to look you up. Yeah. Cool. Um, going back. Let, let's talk about, you've got a 2.3 Alpha that's a long chassis, which I believe was a Le Mans car. Is that correct? Yes, it was. A, yeah, they made eight of those, and with those cars, they managed to win Le Mans in 1931, 32, 33, 34, and really over technicality, almost 35. Right. Oh. And I, yes. they made eight of those, and I have the one that Lord Howe uh, okay. bought uh, so that he could compete with so he could win for England, and the only way he could win for England is with an Italian car at the time. <laughs> <laughs> now, there is another one of those, or there used to be, in the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. And I'm wondering what happened to that car. Uh, I, I don't think it's there anymore. I yeah. think that was, this is one of my favorite words, I think it was deaccessioned. Uh, and it's now in the hands of a, of a, I believe, of a private individual. But okay. I, I'm not right. sure on that. Well, I'm sure you've read uh, Simon Moore's books on the 2-3. And, of course, so many of those cars uh, were, I guess, for lack of a better word, cannibalized. And uh, mm-hmm. I was very familiar with a long chassis 2-3 with an unknown Eastern European body. And uh, the second time I saw that car in the 80s, it had a replica Zagato body on it. And the third time I saw the car, Paul Grist had made it into a Monza. And yeah, I've yeah seen, I, know, I know that car you're talking about. Yeah, and I've seen yeah. Ray Jones cut a Letourneau and Marchand long chassis body, literally just cut it in sections and rolled it down in the ditch behind his home. And, Detroit at one time and made it into a Monza, which is a shame. Fred, I, I want to pull the conversation back to your museum because that's that's uh, what we called you about. Uh, it, sort of give us a, a, a verbal quick tour of the museum and, and uh, your, your gift shop and uh, other facilities that you have within the museum. Yeah, and I, I'll be briefer. Basically, uh, all the cars are racing sports cars. There is an annex of what we call sporty cars, which were sports cars that, that did race but were very special cars like Auburn Speedsters, uh, the certain Corvettes, uh, Corvette Grand Sport, for instance, um, uh, Kissel Speedsters, which were, were hot-looking cars. I got a couple DuPont Speedsters. 
but basically, the, except for those that annex, basically they're all racing sports cars. They start at 07 and they end at 75. Most of them um, actually raced in the venue where they're displayed. So the venues would be uh, Brooklyn, Sebring, Watkins Glen, uh, Le Mans, um, Nuremberg Millimedia, Targa Florio, things like that. And there, in the Millimedia, there are two second-place Millimedia cars exhibited, for instance. So it's about racing sports cars, and and it's the cars that are in there are there's just so many. There's no little Lotuses or little Lolas. They're all cars that were essentially winners, or the or the same chassis as winners. We have five actual winners of Le Mans, Nurburgring, and Millimedia. But the rest were were cars that raced or had identical chassis to the winners. So it's about the the winning cars, the how they competed, and then the venues in which they competed. The the gift shop is basic, nothing special. T-shirts, caps, uh, a lot of models, things that that the kids can buy, low price things, you know, ten dollar models that the kids can take home with them. A uh, small bookshop, and then the other thing which is more difficult to explain is the library but the library is currently getting organized so that we'll be able to offer the material the material is specialized uh, and it consists of uh, factory produced literature uh, that's what, what what I always collected stuff that was produced by the factory uh, starting in 1892 and going right up to, to the present and that was that would come back from Hershey uh, Steve in uh, in an, literally a van. Uh, that's the way it was in the 50s and 60s, uh, and even 70s at Hershey. There was so much great material out there. Now, now I'm lucky if I come back with a briefcase uh, <laughs> full of uh, original literature. So anyway, that's that's what it is. The, the demonstration days, the actual cars, a uh, little gift shop, uh, and the library. And. And out of out of your museum, we always ask this too of the curator or the owner or whatever. Your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Uh, that's easy, uh, and we mentioned it during this conversation. It's the the Hugh Hunter Alpha Romeo that won the uh, Millimedia in 1938. That to me has absolutely everything. Is that the one that's sort of on the little hill? No, no, that's a two nine Alpha, but it's a two nine A. And that came in second at the Millennium Thirty Seven. The one on the turntable okay. uh, is the is the twenty nine hundred B. That um, uh, is, as I said, I've, I've done the Millennium in that car three times, um, and you can imagine the thrill of taking the car through the streets of Italy at top speed. Uh, and the kids' new cars there. I mean, they would shout Biondetti, who was the Italian driver who won that race. They'd be screaming Biondetti, Biondetti, because they recognized it from pictures. You know, it was a great thrill. Um, and the, and the, so the experience, the looks of the car, the way I got it, all make it the favorite. Is your uh, is your family? Does your family have the same interest in uh, cars that you do? I have one daughter, and um, she once said, "Daddy, uh, horses are my sports cars." So that's where her interest lies. And, and if I know good horses, they're probably more expensive than the, uh, the uh, you're horses right. under your hood. You're right. Yeah, and that's they it. don't appreciate in value. And as a matter of fact, what we've had to do with them is when their time was up, we, we sent them to horse farms for 
for places uh, where the kids could enjoy them. That's great. Um, That's but great. They, no, they do not appreciate. <laughs> uh, is there is there one um, key thing that you, that we can help you with with your museum, or something that you want to? Uh, uh, let the public know uh, yeah. one takeaway, you, you, particularly. Yeah, you're doing it right now, really, and that is exposure. It's, it's really, it's, it's so sad to walk in my museum. We were voted by the International Historic Motoring Awards, which is the Academy Awards of the Auto Hobby. It's a London-based organization, so, you know, we don't know a whole lot about the organization in America, but they cover the world, and they have a judging panel of, of really prominent people like Sterling Moss and Jay Leno and the editors of magazines, and they vote on various things, one of which is Museum of the Year. And we won that Best Car Museum, the Museum of the Year for 2011. Um, despite that, um, our attendance uh, could be a, a lot better, and um, many people, I, they, hardly a day goes by when somebody comes in and says, I never heard of this place. So what we really need is to let people know that it's there. It's a, it's a museum. It's open six days a week, every day but Monday. And it has uh, cars that I'm sure the, the guys will agree are, are interesting cars. Oh, beautiful. Stuff. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And we just want to see the world to know about it and come visit. That's, that's the only reward I have for, for putting this together is to have people show up. Sadly, um, many weekends particularly... We'll have more visitors from Europe than we'll have from the United States. Can you believe that? I yes. Mean, yes, I can. We're near yeah. the airport. Yeah, you can see it at Hershey. You can see it at Hershey now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fred, if you don't mind staying on the line, we've, we've got to get out of here and get ready for uh, some of our other shows coming in today. But uh, if you don't mind staying on the line, I just had a thought as, as you were speaking, and I want to personally thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks, Fred. And we'll see you Friday. Okay, we'll get out there. Thank you, Fred. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.